All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Dirtbag Nation here once again live. The Dirtbag Dugout Podcast, episode twenty-nine. Uh, it is officially Friday, the thirtieth of December. Basically, the uh, the last podcast we'll be doing into twenty twenty-two. Uh, what a ride it's been this year. Obviously, a couple more free agent signings uh, that we'll be discussing. Um, just uh, kind of looking forward to twenty twenty-three. Uh, I really don't have any general frame that this podcast is going to go. It's pretty much just cleaning up other little topics we wanted to do. So, uh, Nate, feel free to take the helm, man. What, uh, what do you have for us today? So, before we talk about uh, the umpires, uh, let's just knock out free agents, you know, address who went where. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest um, – I guess he's not even a free agent, but a, a narrative this winter was Trevor Bauer being uh, reinstated yeah. by a third-party arbitrator, uh, arbiter. Um, that's huge for baseball. It's huge for the Dodgers. I'm really looking forward to him being back in the rotation. I think uh, his absence was kind of felt, mm-hmm. uh, most notably in the latter bit of the season for the Dodgers in that his arm could have probably helped them against San Diego. Yeah. Most specifically that last half where it was basically Tony Gonsolin, Urias. I mean, obviously we said the, uh, the other pod, Dustin Mays coming back. Walker Bueller is down for the year. Obviously, you know, Clint Kershaw isn't your workhorse anymore. I mean, he, he is your a workhorse, but he's not the main, the main ace. So that, that arm definitely was missed. Um, I believe it said 150 games, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that, though. Um, but I believe with that reduced suspension, we'll basically see him sometime in, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe maybe June or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's actual dates, not 150 games, because obviously that's still, you know, most of the yeah, year. Like, I, think, I think it's days altogether. So, uh the fact that we're able to get not only the suspension reduced, but the fact that he's able to get reinstated. Um, I think the third party uh, was able to take an objective look and be like, uh, hey, this was in fact a little bit too harsh of a uh, come down on Bauer. Um, look, domestic violence stuff, that's sticky stuff anyways. So however the league handled it is however the league handled it. But mm-hmm. from a player perspective it's nice to see him back in the game yeah absolutely definitely serviceable i know when he was with the reds cy young candidate cy young winner obviously uh was looking really good while he did have his his uh albeit short tenure you know his his tenure with the dodgers was also looking promising so like you said at least from the players aspect yeah definitely can be very resourceful for this dodgers lineup going into 2023 i can agree to that yep i guess uh another name uh cory kluber ends up with the red sox they just reached a deal uh i don't know man kluber he's been a pretty decent he's a veteran arm in the league now he's been around a while Mm -hmm. you're not getting uh kluber the closer in his prime if we know that the Red Sox aren't getting that. So what are what are their expectations, I suppose, on Kluber bringing him in? 
Mm -hmm. I'd ask that question again. What do you think the expectations are uh, from the Red Sox organization bringing an, uh, kind of an older, you know, like a veteran arm into that rotation? I would say just be serviceable. Honestly, it's like much like you said, you're not expecting, you know, days past where, you know, he was going to be lights out. You're basically it's it's basically the par for course for the Red Sox this entire offseason. I mean, you're you're not expecting a complete 180, but as much crap as we have been giving them, at least these smaller pieces hopefully will be. I don't want to say necessarily the foundation, but at least will be moves or at least those stepping stones towards eventually riding the ship. If it's, I, I don't see an immediate turnaround next year. Maybe they're hoping the year after, like in 24, you know, to be more in the conversation by 25 or at least in 24. But it feels like a lot of these moves have been, hey, we're at least going to be treading water. We're not going to be satisfied with sub 500 ball which I think a lot of people are expecting, especially with, with the offloading and, you know, obviously the drama with Bogart's endeavors. And, you know, I think that everybody was kind of expecting a dumpster fire. And with the Red Sox front office admitting their own mismanagement, saying, oh, yeah, we missed out on getting the right amount of money for Bogart's. It's like, well, yeah, what do you know? Your own indecisions uh, from when you you, could, you should have struck when the iron was hot and got mad money for him, but now you wanted to hold on to him. So, you know, we know where that chip fell. Yeah, kind of put yourself in a really tough spot. Um, there's no real way, like I said, they're not going to bring themselves above 500. They're not going to make leaps and bounds better than, I mean, obviously anything's going to be better than last year, but it's not. It's not going to be all of a sudden, okay, hey, we're fighting for second place. We're fighting the Blue Jays. You know, Yankees are at top. We're all of a sudden fighting the Blue Jays, and we're knocking the Orioles back into, uh, you know, back in the basement dwelling. I mean, obviously, the Orioles are here to stay. Obviously, they can make more moves to put themselves, you know, in that playoff position, you know, even though they were kind of there. But, you know, it's it's not going to be where the Red Sox are just all of a sudden back on top or back within that conversation this is very much going to be an uphill battle for them is 500 the par to kind At of the very least i think so i mean anything short of that it's like okay then why did we even bother we should have gone the way of the a's and not spend anything you know and just clean house clean slate make a big move in 24 like you know it seems like they're at least trying to tread water and at least get a couple games over 500 if that looks like a wild card maybe you know if that if that's going to be their aspirations i could say that that would be fair it'd definitely be attainable but you're not you're the al east is kind of locked up right now you're not you're not making you know you're not going to pull a giants and all of a sudden 106 wins with some random assortment of a squad like that's just not going to happen the yankees won't let that happen the blue jays especially with their recent acquisitions they're like there's just too many teams that aren't going to just lay down I'm glad you brought up the Giants because we'll take a break from the pitchers and the fact that San Francisco had to settle on Conforto. They finally get a signing. It's Conforto's signature that they land, but it's they're putting an outfielder in the organization. Conforto's been around. Mm -hmm. I, do you have a ring? I do not believe so. 
No, I don't think so. I will check real quick, but I don't I don't believe he does. Yeah, either way, you know, he's not a, a new name to the game. He is someone who I think San Francisco can do right by Conforto in the fact that we know our expectations with you. You know our expectations with us. This mm-hmm. is a long con arrangement. Yeah. He's only been with the Mets uh, since 2015. So that's been his only team. So no, no ring. Uh, let's see, seven years. Let me see his career 15.7 war, though, about 255 average, almost at 150 on the home run, 650 hits, you know, 650 exact, you know, to be exact. Um, so definitely can can be serviceable, can help the Giants. I mean, I'm not saying that he's the savior by any means, but definitely is a plus more than a minus, especially for that organization. In that production respect, he's, I guess he has to come in and perform in order to just help San Francisco be bar minimal Mm -hmm. for all the work that they have or have, you know, yet to do. It's the same deal as the Red Sox. The best you can hope for is barely plus 500 ball. You already kind of know what the Diamondbacks are going to be. You kind of already know what the Rockies are going to be. So being that solid third place team within your division, again, maybe you can squeak in a wild card if you know. But it really seems at least with that specific division, it's going to be the same as last year with LA and the Padres kind of going back and forth and much how we saw the Mets and the Braves kind of fighting for that first place wild card. Um, you know, you would hope that with the expansion of of slots that maybe San Francisco can sneak in. But again, there's going to be a lot of other National League teams trying to squeak in. So at the very least, even if you aren't playoff bound, your aspirations should be at least plus 500 ball. Or, I mean, even if you fall maybe a couple games short, like 80, 85, you know, something, something around that. I wouldn't say a 90 win. But maybe anywhere from 80 to 90, I think you could consider that a successful season. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. But because that is, you know, it's a bar minimum success. So a successful deal, uh, a swap between uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, you've got Varsho from the backs going to Toronto. And all the Blue Jays had to give up was uh, Lords Lord, uh, Guriel Jr., all French. Yeah, Yuli, Yuli Guriel's brother. Yeah. Yep. The brother. And then um, a, a, a catching prospect, Moreno. Okay. So you're not completely picking their pockets. I mean, a prospect, good or bad, you know, that, that's kind of nothing, at least presently. Like I said, you're you're not presently picking their pockets. It it could go either way with that prospect. Um, that's not a bad deal, I would say. So it's it's the Blue Jays that are picking. Picking yep, up. Varsho's oh. going to end up in Toronto. Okay, and that's not bad for either team, really. Now I'm thinking about it. I mean, the Diamondbacks. I would like to think that they've have been slowly gaining steam. I mean, even if you want to say they're, I don't want to say underrated in that in that regard, but just kind of flying under the radar. I'm not going to say all of a sudden next year, it's going to be a whole like, whoa, where do they come from? But I think slowly adding of the pieces, I think they do have a good 
young core that they're trying to start to build. Obviously, their last their last real playoff appearance, I think, was 2017. So, you know, it has been a couple of years removed, but that 2017 team specifically, they looked really good. You know, obviously they fell short, kind of blew it up. So if they're trying to do that again, I think that that's the best way is, is just to kind of fly under the radar, add the couple of key pieces that you need, even if it's towards the young core. And then, hey, if you want to make a splash, like I don't want to say this is a splash necessarily for free agency, but if you want to start making actual moves in free agency, then I mean, the sky's really the limit at that point. All you can go really is up at this point. I think adding Lords uh, in Arizona is beneficial in the fact that Arizona has now become a potential for more than 500 in that possible, the plausible wild card, like you suggested, in that now in that West, you, you might not be the basement dwelling. You're not going to be the basement dweller, but you're fighting. You have the opportunity to fight for that wild card position, which in 17, falling short, uh, put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. It turned a lot of people off. And I think it's clubhouse off just in the way it imploded so fantastically, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, if you're Arizona, if you're the Diamondbacks, getting to the wild card is good, yes. But I think playing uh, an 80 win, 75 win, you know, uh, well over 500 win ball should be, I think, the Arizona target. You know, try pipe somebody to a wild card. Yeah, if you can get 85, then, then, I mean, we've obviously seen where some of these smaller brother teams have knocked out bigger brothers. So hey, all you have to do is just get your foot in the door, just in, you know, get into the room, and it's a clean slate once you know October one starts. Exactly. You know, when the door closes and punches start flying. Nothing, it doesn't matter what happened on the other side of the door. Yeah. So it's uh, that we live for October baseball. Yeah. Just in the zaniness that it, like, just in this past postseason, everything that it embodied. Yeah. Wildness, wildness. So many upsets. So a lot of great plays. Obviously, a lot of long balls. Obviously, we saw the, the no hitter. I mean, just just like you said it that's what we live for just the unpredictability the predictable unpredictability i mean that's what it is honestly like there's no other way to put it like you can expect all that you can and it'll still find a way to just you know basically toss you on your ass and and show you something different so i'm looking forward to that um who else do we got on the pipe so the Rangers made an acquisition for Ivaldi. Really, I did not know. Yeah, that. I think it was a two-year deal. Um, it to me makes sense in the fact that the Rangers. I don't know. It's they've got it down here is two years, thirty-four mil. So you're kind of spending a little mm-hmm. on that investment. So it warrants production on Uvalde's end. Yeah. But he's not coming into an empty bullpen either. No, that's that was exactly my thought, right? When you said that, that, that makes sense. You're just trying to bolster that bullpen, trying to make it well-rounded. Obviously, you have your one, two, three, even possibly four. Um, I'm not sure what their actual relievers. I would probably have to look. But having 
a serviceable closer, you know, at the very least you have a good enough bullpen to get you through, even if the offense doesn't want to show up, which we obviously expected more from last year, but now going in now that you have, you know, two sides of the coin working for you. Uh, I think, I think the Rangers can also get out of that, out of that basement, definitely do a lot better than what do they have? 70, 75 wins or something. They were supposed to have 77 projected something like that. So at least getting over that 80 plus win mark should definitely be, should definitely be their, uh, I mean, you got to think too, the American league West, you have the A's, Angels, it's the Rangers, I believe it's the Mariners, and I'm missing another team. I don't know why. Um, but it, it should definitely be more up for grabs than than people might think. Especially again, now that you're starting to bolster both sides, definitely should be within within uh, reach. The, I, on paper, the move makes sense. It looks like it's a good deal for both parties, and the fact that. Uvaldi is going to make Uvaldi uh, is going to make himself some money here, uh, and the Rangers stand to benefit from what he can do on the mound. Mm-hmm. Uh, other team, so the Phillies. We've talked them in New York. I feel like they've come up just about every single time we brought up free agency. Mm-hmm. Because just throwing so much damn money around. Philadelphia brought in a veteran in Kimbrel. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense for Philadelphia to bring this veteran arm in and ask him to just finish. Mm-hmm. Just finish the game. Do what you've done in the past. Because this isn't, you know, like Kimberl in the past, you know, like where he's kind of venomous. Yeah, that gritty. You know, like He's he's a little aged. He's a little more seasoned. And I don't know if he is going to have the same kind of dominant pitching performances in Philadelphia, just given the lineups that he's going to face. Now, I'm not saying that the Dodgers didn't face, you know, strong lineups, but with who Philadelphia regularly plays in their division, they face strong batters. Yeah. Is a veteran Kimbrel going to be able to help Philadelphia get the ring? I, th- I would say more yes than no. Uh, I would say you're not. How do I want to put this? I think it's the same way where you're not much how we've said with other bullpen players. You're not necessarily riding him as the savior. Obviously, you need him to produce. You need him to close. Obviously, you're there. That's your position. You close the door. Like you make sure that that door stays shut. You don't get schlacked two or three runs and you know end up blowing the save. Um, but uh, yeah, just kind of going back to that main point. You're not expecting him to be the two inning, three inning savior where we're just leaning on you as our last hope. I think it's really going to be, hey, get us through these three outs. You know, you'll see more than enough opportunities, especially with how stacked this division is specifically in the, the National League East. And yeah, like you said, we keep bring, coming back to it because they do have ballers on that side. It's a good time to be a fan of that, you know, any team in that division. Um, but again, it, it's not it's not as though 
like say say you were to put them on the Braves or the Mets or any other of the other teams, it's the same position. You're not our team is well-rounded enough where we're not expecting you to be that end all be all. Like we'll do our part. We just need you to come in, show up, and close the door. It's gonna be tight. Don't get me wrong. There's gonna be times where he, he may have to shake some rust off. He may get exposed, but I think his overall purpose there isn't to be, you know, Billy badass and and knocking down two or three innings in a row. I think it really is just going to be a three out. Like let's, you just need to literally close. I'm really glad you brought that up about the other teams. Be you know, he he could have just as easily plugged right into the Mets, plugged right into Atlanta. But he lands in Philly, and I'm not saying you know, like the deal makes the most sense for Philly, but other, he could have just as easily done this job anywhere else in the East and have been just as potent. And that's kind of, I guess, a dangerous quality to have as a veteran closer. Mm-hmm. No, now you got me thinking, what if he went somewhere else? But the fact that you know the Phillies have thrown so much money, they want the ring, they're hungry for it. I I think it makes a lot of sense. Considering where they were this time last year, I mean, obviously, I think we can obviously say now the biggest catalyst was the firing of Joe Girardi. Once that happened, that was an immediate 180. It went from, I believe, his career with them was was what like 40 percent, 45 percent on a win percentage, something like that. Just yeah, just abysmal, terrible, ugly and low. Immediately just. Just 180, obviously World Series runner-up, looking to get right back into the big dance, throwing money. You know, it, it it definitely was. Sometimes it's just one thing. I you know, and that just makes me want to examine microscopically what it was that was the the Joe Girardi vibe was the way he managed. You know, what didn't mesh with the fact that the guys that they weren't winning that is as soon as he departs it's almost like philly you know the players felt like oh we can play the way we want to play ball and they started winning mm-hmm. i believe it was the yeah it was the immediate uh i believe he was the assistant because once they made him interim immediate riding the ship and obviously earning himself a, i believe we said it was the two-year extension i, I think it was two year and immediately, like, yes, you gave us immediate success, immediately what we wanted to see. You know, you exceeded our expectations, you know, and you're being rewarded for it. So, yeah, it has to be something where I don't want to say bureaucracy in that way, but just the amount of red tape that might have had to have gone through just certain things getting stonewalled. Maybe it was some some stubbornness. I'm not I'm not quite sure, but um, for it to literally be more than apparent that it literally was just this one guy and you could see immediate yeah there was no real adjustment period it just like a switch like okay cool we're we're gonna start winning games now <laughs> it had to have been something that he was implementing or like you said his style the literal managerial decisions that were blowing games or I, i'm not i'm not quite sure which is crazy considering a stalwart of the game like that's that's so insane to me and I think that's what caught so many people off guard is that that's Joe fucking Girardi. Mm-hmm. A, a, a storied manager who's been there. He's fucking done that, bro. Like, this is this is nothing to him, bro. Like, and for Philly to just uh, ex- 
explode after his departure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Something in the water. Yeah, had to be something more to it. Speaking of something in the water, there's got to be something in the water with 10 umpires, uh, seven of them being crew chiefs, retiring this offseason. That's a lot. The most we've had since 98. Uh, with with this many retirements in one offseason, I guess I'm hung up on the fact that it's seven crew chiefs. That's a lot. Yeah, it's not just a random, oh, I'm, you know, I'm off to do, be with my family, this, that, the other. It's like, no, these are longstanding. You've made your way up the ranks. You've probably seen a couple of, you know, high profile games, series, championships, whatever. Like you, you've been there. You've, you've seen a lot. That's a lot of experience to be, to be gone all at once. My biggest concern losing that many crew chiefs is that the, the rules of the game might, I don't want to say get misinterpreted, but I think that in the spring, we're going to see that, you know, the crews who, you know, had achieved the retired, they're going to kind of have questionable calls. That's the best way to put it in that they're trying to, yeah the more inexperienced blues might might all of a sudden have a wider taller zone than some people might be accustomed to or that that uh what's a good word just lack of consistency might be a little more heightened especially more high higher profile games or i mean it, it is it's a serious issue to at least you know, be looking out for it, at least to be more aware of that. There is a very great potential for that. And I'm not saying, I mean, obviously these guys go through schooling and all that, you know, they go through training. It's not like they just pick some dude off the street and okay, hey, this is where the zone is, go. Like, obviously they go through extensive stuff. Um, but yeah, that's still gonna, I still think that inexperience for lack of a better word, I, I know there's probably a better way to say it, but just the general sense of inexperience, especially at the crew chief level, like you said, that's that's the biggest thing um, is really going to show itself. It may take the rest of the year certain, you know, if it's one specific umpire or handful or whatever, you know, may, it may take a good chunk of the season for them to get that under their belt, especially if they are, you know, with the promotions now from these junior umps to that crew chief level you know it, a lot a lot more is going to be riding on their experience or lack thereof so i i would like to hope that there's more that we that we'll see as far as growth in a positive way but again yeah there, there's always that potential for a lot of blown missed say you know missed game opportunities because calling balls and strikes is important that's your whole job you know, the linchpin, you know, you said it best in that it's consistency. It doesn't matter if you call a, a zone that's a little high, a little wide right. Like some umpires are, you know, but they're consistent. Mm-hmm. In the, call it, you know, every single time that way. If, if that's the, I feel like that's what the, the umpires are kind of in danger of right now is inconsistency in balls and strikes 
being called efficiently and correctly. Mm -hmm. I will say uh, you guys should definitely, I believe it's through Twitter. I'm pretty sure they're on Instagram as well. Their at is ump scorecards, all one word. Uh, I know I've been following them. I know, especially last year, I want to say the year before as well, but you'll definitely see that throughout the season, just the different strike zone. They'll, they'll, obviously I've said before, with the pages to follow, they'll have that layout. You could see certain calls where it's a little high off, a little low, you know, in whatever, high, whatever have you. And they'll, they'll make sure to obviously pinpoint, they'll let you know who, you know, the person behind the plate is for sure. The specific game, you know, and what key missed calls or correct calls can, can lead towards a certain team, maybe having more of an advantage than not. So you'll, you'll see that I would say, that's probably the greatest resource towards keeping them accountable is having a third party uh, not only track them, but obviously having access to that information where you can start to make patterns like, okay, I know this dude has obviously a, like you said, wider zone. Okay. And whether or not they're consistent within that own zone, you know, uh, that's going to be the biggest thing though. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. I know I'm going to be probably bookmarking and retweeting the crap out of that. Cause I'm sure there's going to be, a couple of doozies out there, some Kyle Schwarber, Angel Hernandez type where, you know, you're this high, this low, what are you doing? Like, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of those. Classic. Yeah. Now, Good. In the pipe? I mean, now with what little time we have left, I know there was a CBD deal in the works and I know you've got the scoop on that. Fill I me do. This is via boardroom. So MLB becomes the first major sports league in the U.S. to bring on a CBD sponsor. Uh, let's see. This is this is a couple of weeks ago, but uh, announced the Tuesday of, of whatever week that this came out, uh, that it has signed a deal with CBD brand Charlotte's Web, becoming the first major pro sports league to sign a CBD sponsor. Uh, Multi-year deal basically makes it the official CBD, you know, in quotes, with the goal to increase brand visibility among MLB athletes and fans, according to a press release. Uh, I'll just give you a quick quote. As a leader in the CBD category with products that provide health and wellness benefits, Charlotte's Web is a welcome addition to the MLB family, representing a landmark partnership in baseball and sports. And this is uh, Noah Garden, MLB Chief Revenue Officer, uh, basically will receive the NSF Certified for Sports designation and has met the highest safety standards and can be promoted across MLB events and media platforms. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever used CBD, obviously like ointments and stuff for joints and stuff. Uh, I have personally, personally, I think it's great in general, allowing these guys recovery, pain relief without popping a bunch of pills, without having to inject a bunch of crap in you, you know, a little more, a little more natural. Um, but this does, and obviously these are two different things, do you think that this leads to the eventual repeal of, uh, you know, marijuana use, THC specifically for at least as far as injury, as far as uh, inflammation, things, you know, as far as a wellness, not just for anxiety or, you know, any of the other uh, effects that it can alleviate, but as far as just pain management? This opens the door. This, this at least... Look, we're, we've, we've started with CBD, and I think as more and more states decriminalize and recreationalize the use of uh, marijuana, you're going to see it 
for its medicinal purposes, uh, you know, for the anti-inflammation, you know, for its anti-anxiety properties, I think you could see it uh, very readily get moved off of a banned substance list for players to use. Mm -hmm. How many NFL players get banned for popping on piss tests for marijuana? Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't an MLB problem, but I'm sure MLB guys toke. Yeah. Being a CBD sponsor, I think it's wonderful. I, I, I'm looking forward to figuring out how they're going to merchandise and advertise. But you're absolutely right, Tony, in that this opens the door for the THC conversation. Well, I know they removed it from the, le- from the list of banned substances, and this was in 2019. I know specifically the nba had done it i want to say either 2020 or 21 um so i know that this is a i don't want to say a snowball effect but like you said it definitely opens the door for a little more widely accepted availability could be regulated in the sense of like okay well obviously we have our sponsors we have um our tried and true you know partnerships that we've thoroughly tested and we've vetted um as far as an official designation like as far as official branding huge step absolutely huge step whether or not it just stays cbd or they eventually get you know a weed maps freaking banner you know right behind home plate you know who who knows what the future will hold but like you said it's really going to take uh definitely a culture shift uh, like you said with with more and more states decriminalizing and recreationally recognizing uh, the use, it allows, you know, federal government to, you know, open up the doors as far as allowing it to be even just tested for medical purposes, even, you know, even if we're not talking for another five, however many years, 10 years, just opening the door and advancing, pushing the envelope just a little bit more, uh, it's a win, especially if we're talking about players' health and safety, talking about, you know, underlying health issues, mental issues, recovery, things of that nature, you know, whether you want to go through the CBD route or THC route, just the fact that it, it even opens the door of conversation and allows a little more exposure, uh, allows more research to be conducted without that stigma or the taboo, you know, label on it, it, it does wonders. And I think that's a lot of what maybe the league recognized is that we can take some of the stigma and taboo away from our players being involved with CBD or THC by being proactive. We have our own CBD sponsor. Like we, we don't give a fuck if you, have, if you use CBD rubs or if you drink a CBD infused water after a game. That's perfectly fine. Like by by taking the small proactive step, we can seriously have the conversation about THC later. Yeah. It only it only brings about good feelings for what's to come. So I'm looking forward to 23 specifically, but obviously with this, who knows down the road. Um, so I got nothing else. If you got nothing else, man. No save rounds on my end. All right. Very well. I appreciate you guys listening, watching as always. Uh, Nate, make sure you have a good, happy, safe new year. Uh, same to you guys listening and watching. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll have episode 30 in the new year whenever we get to it. So I appreciate you guys as always. And until then, stay tuned to our bags.